0: We are recording right now. Welcome to SportsBeat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast, sponsored by Big O Tires. It's Friday, October 11th, and I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. College Football Friday is here. Mizzou returns to SEC play against Ole Miss, and star columnist Vahe Gregorian stops by to talk about the Tigers. He surprised me with a stat Kansas State and Kansas do not play this weekend. But it's not a bye week for Kellis Robinette and Jesse Newell. They join us to talk Wildcats and Jayhawks. AKU has a new offensive coordinator by the way. We talk about that with Jesse. Later, Sporting Kansas City season is over. Earlier than expected given the expectations entering this season. Sam McDowell, who covered Sporting for most of the year, stopped by the studio to discuss what went wrong, what went right, but mostly wrong for Sporting KC this season. Vahé Gregorian, star columnist, was at Columbia earlier this week uh, for a column that I really enjoyed. And we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, even though it's Friday. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. And Vahe, you came up with a stat before we came into the podcast studio that made me stop in my tracks because I, I had to think about it for a second and said, gosh darn, you're right, that over the last 25 games, Missouri is 18-7. and you know, outside of the usual suspects, Alabama, you know, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, I, I imagine there aren't 20 teams in the country that are 18-7 and 7 over the last 25 games dating the last year. And, and maybe, what, 25? We're looking at the pre- previous two years.
1: As ever, your imagination is fertile and <laughs> on target. Um, the record of 18-7 and 7 in the last 25 games is fourth best among SEC schools— uh-huh. And I believe, uh, yeah, there it is, ninth best among Power Five schools.
0: How about that? So that's pretty good. That's very good. And I don't think that there is a perception that it's been that good for Missouri, for a few reasons, right? The success in 2018 came in the second half of the year after some real gut-wrenching losses. I never can forget the Kentucky game. And then, of course, this year's season opener uh, against Wyoming, which was such a disappointing loss. But... Tigers haven't lost since then. They play Ole Miss Saturday night, six o'clock. SEC game number two, right? They already beat South Carolina at home, and Ole Miss is the second SEC opponent. They've wrapped up non-conference games. Missouri got some bad news this week, though. With uh, uh, wasn't this week? They got it last Saturday in the Troy game with uh, with the loss of Kale Garrett. What a what a terrible loss for the Tigers! It,
1: it is a terrible loss, and it is that rare guy that is. Maybe spiritual is the wrong word, but, but some kind of emotional leader, and you know, the voice of the defense, and who happens to lead the SEC in tackling and and uh, the nation in defensive touchdowns with yeah, three, yeah, it won in each of the last three games, which is remarkable, and and ties into another really remarkable stat: the last four games, Missouri's defense has scored thirty-five points opposing offenses have scored 31. Missouri's defense has outscored the opposition 35-31 to 31 since the Wyoming game.
0: Yeah, so this is what we expected when <laughs> Barry Odom became the head coach.
1: A little bit of that. That's exactly right. And, look, we'll see the proof as we go, right? But I think you can make a reasonable case right now entering this game that the the will of Barry Odom, whatever, the culture of Barry Odom, whatever is, is – is basically taking right. We're about where you are when you're program building, three, four, five years. It's all your all your own recruits. Your vision permeates a little more all the time. If in fact you're an effective communicator, which I think Barry has only become more and more so. I'm quite impressed with. Um, Barry's demeanor at press conferences, Barry, Barry's, which I assume translates to his uh, ability to reach his players. Communication, right? It's yeah, communication I think still. he's quite earnest, and uh, I like his energy. I, I've, I've, I've seen in the last two years particularly Barry just, to me anyway, get more comfortable in his own skin, more trust around him. And I think it's all manifesting what we see on the field. Now, Barry used this term earlier in the week, and it stayed with me. Um, that's great. We're four and one, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're three and a half hours away from being fools and not having any idea what we're doing. I love that line. It was a great line. And I was like, yeah. He's absolutely right. That's true. In fact, get, get that lead going <laughs> for whoever's right in the game. No, I'm teasing. Um, but, but it's a great way to look at it. And I think coaches constantly have to find ways to keep good teams on track, right? And, and find ways to lift struggling teams out of it. I think this is Barry's new challenge how to keep. A good team on track. What apparently is, I think, a really stout and good defense. It hurts obviously to lose Kale Garrett, but I don't, I don't think he's the only reason the defense has been good.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a heart and soul guy, which is what Barry Odom called him this yeah. week. I'll tell you what the 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 news from Saturday with the the victory over Troy could have been doubly worse. Yeah. Um, if if. Uh, Kelly Bryant's injury proved to be um, more serious. Now, like again, we're recording this late Wednesday afternoon. Maybe some news will have you know will, will have occurred in the next you know, 48 hours or so. But all signs indicate that he he's going to be okay with the with the knee injury.
1: Yeah, that, that's what everything seemed to be. Um, he used the term 90% as of Tuesday. He was full go. I I'd be rather astonished if uh, anything changes that, that says he can't go. What's really interesting about the Missouri offense is they, they've won these last four games in such such runaway fashion that second halves they've they've actually been pretty limited. That they're in fact Derek Dooley, the offensive coordinator spoke a little bit about this, about the complexity of being up forty two to three or seven or whatever it was at halftime. When you want to get uh Kelly's backup, Taylor Powell in there Taylor Power, yeah. Tyrone Power, um, <laughs> uh, in there and get him get him some action, but you, you're holding back. You, you know it because the higher calling for them was not run up the score on Troy, and right. you know I, I appreciate that. And uh, but part of the reason I bring that up is that Derek also used the term that suggesting that the offense was a little bit under wraps, were just kind of running clock um, for a lot of these last few games. So I don't know if that means there's a you know plenty of stuff to see that they haven't uncorked yet. I, I Bryant here. I think he's demonstrably gotten more comfortable with the offense for a guy who threw for, I think, 400 yards in his first game, but made some big mistakes. Right. Um, but I don't know I don't know what he's fully capable of yet. Well,
0: we will know more about this offense. I don't think the offense is going to feel as comfortable in the next several games, or the rest of the season, yeah. in fact, as, yeah. as it has in the past few weeks. With, uh, again, with the um, you know with the, with the non-conference schedule now completed, Ole Miss in, in Columbia on Saturday, and then it's just a series of it's all SEC from from here on in. And you know, look, the the conference is shaping up, or the, the let's just say the division anyway. Missouri's uh, the East Division for the Tigers, shaping up kind of how we we thought it might with Georgia taking off and Florida seeming. You know, Florida's had some nice wins and. You know, up there in the top ten, and both of those programs are. Um, they're, they're they're before. Uh, you know, Missouri, Missouri's got both of them coming up on the schedule. They really handled Florida a year ago. Georgia's been the one that's been you know, the, the the puzzle for, for yeah. the Tigers. Have yeah. been, have defeated them once, right? In yeah, Georgia, it,
1: which but. was I would argue maybe one of the most significant wins in Missouri history. I, I guess that was that 2014 SEC West. Championship title. season, right, right. Um, I say West. Did I mean,
0: West? E- e- East yeah. East division. They played for the SEC title yeah. title that year. They won it. The it won it between the hedges, as I recall. Yeah, it was
1: it was an amazing game. I, I, I think uh, the the one moment you saw Doriel Green Beckham, uh, <laughs> maybe not the one moment, but a moment, a it moment is. for him. But look, as you look at the schedule, just sort of pertaining to what you said, I think you said this a couple weeks ago, and I think it still holds true. I don't know what. Do you know what the uh, odds makers have done with this this game?
0: I don't. I'm
1: sorry. But I think Missouri favored. As you,
0: as you talk, I'll I keep will, talking. I can do that. I will
1: get it. But I think if we just had a it on where Missouri is to now, you would favor Missouri in all but two of the two of its remaining games. Um, those being Georgia, at Georgia and, Florida. and Florida, right? And I think this is an interesting way to look at this. If I say so myself. <laughs> um, we ought to expect Missouri to be nine and three if it's if it's making good on on where it is, and that it, and that ten and two ought should not be out of the question. Well, um, 10, and,
0: ten and two would require a, a victory unlikely, that we that right. we are we're not expecting,
1: right? Which would mean, you know, probably Florida at home. I, I suppose at Georgia is the least likely, but I I I'd, I'd sure like to see Missouri go into that game on a riding a whatever it would be a six seven game winning streak and uh, playing into capacity. I'd I, I, I think that'd be an awfully enticing game. 12-point favorite, the Tigers are. 12-point favorite, which I Rebels. think is a little high.
0: Might be, um, especially if there's, a, if there's a little hobble to Kelly Bryant.
1: Yeah, and Barry, Barry Odom used this number earlier in the week. I've not had a chance to independently verify it, but he said that um, Ole Miss is running for 310 yards a game in SEC play. Okay. That seems like some pretty serious yards per game in SEC play. And interestingly enough, they're only averaging two thirty-four overall. So maybe we don't have their non-conference thing in front of us. At least I don't. But you, the guru, again, again, you so quickly able to to cue you up for these things. <laughs> meaning I'm making up for my lack of preparation. <laughs> but luckily, you're here, Blair. That's
0: I find that I find that kind of incredible, actually. Uh, so let's
1: yeah, it it. So, it does seem incredible. So we're in, calling in, up.
0: Well, they, this can't be right. In SEC play. They they played Alabama and, and Vanderbilt, Arkansas early on. So they are, um, yeah, three and three overall, and uh, two and one in SEC play. Obviously losing to Alabama. I don't know. Maybe I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to distrust
1: Barry on this. Barry did not do what Bill Self likes to do, which is give us the exact number and then say you might <laughs> ben, want to check ben me on ben ben that. Then I just bet. I thought, yeah but but i think i think Barry said it with a certain conviction but i am i apologize to you and to our uh, podcast listeners for not having had a chance to look that up directly before please let us know well
0: i suspect sometime in the next couple of weeks we'll know about Missouri's bowl uh, ban situation yeah. the NCAA. we'll know if the appeal has um, you know has uh, is accepted or not um, but it, 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 whether it ha- whether Missouri will serve the bowl ban or not I'm very interested in the way the season plays out for the Tigers. I just think there's a there's a lot of good football left in this program, and some great matchups: uh, Georgia, Florida, at Kentucky, a kind of a revenge game for for Mizzou. Heck, even at Vanderbilt, there, there, there's some games that I'm looking forward to seeing.
1: So absolutely, for sure. And, and look, I, I, as of right now, I'd sure like to see the buildup into to. Missouri having one loss going into that Georgia game. I mean, that'd, that'd be really exciting. It'd be good good for the program. And I think, uh, you know, they're not going to win a national championship this year, but I believe I'm quoting Blair Kirkhoff when I say, is, is there any program that needs that national title more than Missouri in football or basketball? And 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 maybe there isn't. There is not.
0: There is not. I've, I've done a scientific study on this. <laughs> <laughs> the, the emotional... Uh, the emotional wherewithal of a fan base, and I think Missouri needs it as much as any any fan base in the country.
1: Well, it, it's on my mind here in the seventy fifth anniversary of Norm Stewart twirling the thirteen hitter in the College World Series uh, to help the Tigers nineteen fifty four. Yeah, beat Rollins College, I think, in the in the uh, title game.
0: One of two NCAA championships for Missouri athletics. The other, the inaugural track. in the inaugural NCAA indoor track championship. So,
1: time for more.
0: It is time for more for Mizzou. All right, Vahey, thanks a lot. And when we return, we'll hear from Kellis Robinette, who covers Kansas State for the Star and Wichita Eagle. Kellis Robinette, who covers Kansas State for the Kansas City Star and Wichita Eagle, joins us. The Wildcats don't play Saturday. They're coming off a loss to Baylor. That's two losses in a row, two Big 12 losses after that encouraging win over Mississippi State. And Kellis, when when I, I look at the a common kind of denominator between the last two losses, uh, I see a team that's having difficulty running the ball. 126 yards against Oklahoma State, 123 against Baylor in in the um, Chris Kleiman offense. I think that uh, running the ball is is pretty important, especially after what we saw the first couple of games.
2: Yeah, I mean it. It's uh, it's more than important. It's everything, really. If you watched his north dakota state teams at all they did throw it some they've had great quarterbacks there with carson wentz and easton stick but what made them great is when they threw the ball defenses were so concerned about the run or so off kilter that the guys they were throwing to were wide open and it was really easy for them and that's what happened in the first two games um, when they did run the ball effectively and they won the line of scrimmage and they made things easy for Schuyler thompson he looked great, was completing around 70% of his passes. Pro Football Focus had him as the top-graded quarterback in all-college football. And then all of a sudden, they go into Big 12 play, and they see these weird 3-3-5 defenses. And things just aren't clicking the same way. And I know they've had injuries um, at some key positions. But, yeah, it's, it's just interesting because without that running game, everything else is kind of falling apart. The, the biggest stat I found going back and really digging into the last two games is that they've only – so they've had 129 plays combined, a big Joe play against Oklahoma State and Baylor, and only one of them has gone for over 30 yards. It was a, uh, a pass to Sammy Wheeler for 39 yards against Oklahoma State. Other than that, it's all been 29 and under. They've only been averaging 4.5 yards a play. And if other teams aren't going to respect the play-action pass – um, and they're blowing up the run. Kansas State's not going to get a whole lot going, so that's the main thing they need to fix moving forward. I think.
0: Hey, when I hear 129 plays, I also think of, you know that that that's not uh, that's not what you want offensively either. Not not in the Big Twelve, 65 you know plays per game, unless you're trying to c- control the clock and 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 uh, and, and, and it, you know kind of shorten games. So look, Kansas State under Bill Snyder and and under Kleiman now not. Not a typical, you know, you know, no huddle, breakneck speed offense, but there just needs to be more production here. I mean, not just the not just the rushing yards. I mean, we're talking about total of what, um, you know, twenty five points in each of the last two games. Just not going to get it done in this conference.
2: No, <laughs> it really isn't. And the defense has actually played okay. I mean, you can certainly always ask for more. They've had at times when they've missed tackles and. They had some – their cornerbacks took some some bad angles and bid on some stuff last week that wasn't great. But at the same time, you hold Oklahoma State to 26 points on the road. Boy, you think that's got to give you you a great chance to win, and they only scored 13. Uh, Baylor, hold them to 31 most times. Most of the time you think, okay, that should be enough to keep the offense in the game. But both times, Kansas State didn't come really all that close at all. So – I mean, I, I know Chris Kleiman and those guys will point to the defense just as much as the offense, but from where I'm sitting, they've got to be they got to find ways to be more effective on offense. That's that's the the big thing I've found in, in this conference. I as much as teams are starting to come around and play a little bit more defense, you have got to put up a, at least 30 a game, and they're just not all that close right now.
0: Okay, hey, let's switch gears quickly. It's the we're at the doorstep of of basketball season. Teams have started practicing. And, and, and media days are upon us. I know Kansas State's is next week, and then the Big 12's is the week after that. But there's an opportunity to make some uh, some news before media days in the in the recruiting world. There's a there's a prospect out of uh, out of St. Louis, uh, Davian Bradford. I hope I'm pronouncing his first name right. Who has got Kansas State listed as a finalist? Interestingly enough, Missouri is also on that list of, of finalists. It might come down to those two schools. What do you know about Davian Bradford, and uh, what kind of what, what kind of get would this be if Kansas State or Missouri was able to land him? Well, both teams
2: would love to have him. He's a uh, center out of St. Louis, like you said, seven feet tall. He plays for Mocan Elite, the AAU team in Kansas City that is really really good. Um, so both teams would absolutely love to have this guy. He's got seventeen offers: Arizona State, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. They're all involved. So, I mean, this is a, honestly the type of player that neither one of those schools have gotten really all that often. They've got Rivals has him as the number 18-ranked player in the country. He visited both Kansas State and Missouri. Uh, there are a handful of schools involved, but I think it's going to come down to those two. And specifically, if Kansas State could get him, then Bruce Weber could really, you know, drink a beverage of his choice <laughs> on sign, on early signing day because he would have done – I don't think there's even a probably about it. the best job recruiting that he, he's done since he got at Kansas State. He's got three three players lined up right now um, for this class, all of which are top 150 rivals players, two are four star guys. And another is a three star guy. And uh, interestingly, the, the three star player, Luke Kasuke, is uh, also from St. Louis. He plays on the same AAU team as and Bradford. So that would be, you know, a great one two punch right there. And the only thing they're really lacking right now is a big man. Um, they've got Nigel Pack and uh, Selton Miguel, who are both uh, guards and wing guys. that has got the makings of you know his best class, but if you could add a big man to it, it's a slam dunk. So definitely keep an eye on that. He's announcing at 5 o'clock on Friday.
0: Hey, and so St. Louis has had a presence on the Kansas State roster under Weber. And not, not a coincidence that there is a— you know Weber's a Midwestern guy and, he's, and, and, and uh, assistant coaches know that part of the you know the Midwest well. So it wouldn't be a shock to land a St. Louis guy over Missouri, which by the way, is just lost a St. Louis area guy mm-hmm. in Caleb Love, who committed to, to North Carolina uh, recently. So you know beating a Missouri if it comes down to those two in Missouri's backyard would not be an unusual circumstance.
2: No, and Chris Lowry, uh, their associate head coach, has really been the ringleader in all those things. He's got good ties there, and he got Xavier Snead out of St. Louis, Shania Williams out of St. Louis. If you go back uh, to their first recruiting class here with, with Bruce Weber DJ Johnson from St. Louis. So that's been actually one of their very best recruiting grounds. It seems like every year Chris Lowry's going out there making sure they've, they've got good ties to all the players out there. And I guess what makes this – You know, a special deal is just that both him and uh, Lucas Supke, the other guy I mentioned earlier, both they're from St. Louis, play for Kansas City AAU team. They got the whole state covered.
0: All right, Kellis, thanks a lot. And when we return, Jesse Newell, who covers Kansas for the Star and Wichita Eagle, will join us and tell us about the Jayhawks' new offensive coordinator. Jesse Newell covers KU for the Star and the Wichita Eagle is with us. Jesse, even though the Jayhawks don't play this weekend, there is some news on the football front. KU's got a new offensive coordinator. I believe this is number three in the Les Miles era. <laughs> they have played six games. Yeah, that is,
3: it is pretty crazy when you look at it like that. They started with Chip Lindsey, who came in and was very highly regarded, and then he left for the— Head coaching job at Troy. Understandable to take a head coaching job for sure. KU had no protection in his contract to have him leave, which I think that's fine too, probably just because if he is that in high regard and wants to go take that job, I, I don't see a major problem with that. Maybe you could have a little bit more protection, but KU didn't. They bring in, after that, Les Kenning, who, you know, an old time offensive coordinator for Alabama A&M in the day, just didn't work out. It really seemed like he's catered a lot to Les Miles and his offense. We see a lot of the Les Miles um, toss sweeps in there. So, it seemed like he was kind of a guy that was sort of getting strong-armed by Les Miles in there. So, six weeks in, uh, they change over to Brent Deerman, who is an offensive analyst. He's a guy that was the head coach for NAIA's Bethel last season and they led all of college football in scoring. And so, Listen, I know there's the easy jokes to be made about KU football and, and change. And, and listen, you know, David Beatty fired his offensive coordinator. All of these things happen so quickly. But honestly, Blair, I mean, I got I to gotta be completely honest with you. This is a really good move, I think, for the Kansas program, because when you talk about what has been the most successful for them this year against Boston College in that 48-point game? They ran a lot of run pass option plays. Brent Deerman is sort of considered the guru of a run pass option, a lot of those plays. Carter Stanley came out and said that they were put in the playbook by Brent Deerman. And so he's a young, innovative mind. It seems like KU's best success has come with him uh, kind of pitching into the offense. And as long as Les Miles can sort of stay out of the way and let uh, a guy who does things that maybe he isn't as comfortable with in the offense, I think this could be a very positive development for the
0: Jayhawks. Will we think that happen? will, will happen? Will Les Miles allow him to do his thing? That's the million dollar question. And seriously, I mean, once KU beat Boston College, you
3: sort of saw a higher ceiling for them because like, hey, if they go to this, and not to mention Carter Stanley is a guy who ran the run pass option in high school, very comfortable with it. Every time we talk to him, he, he talks about those sorts of plays and, and how he likes doing them. After that, you thought, man, if KU can score 48 against Boston College on the road, what's the potential down the line? But what you saw the next three games, and actually, KU brought a little bit of the RPO back um, the last game against Oklahoma, but the next two games were basically back to the old school I formation offense. and. Listen, is there a place for it? Maybe. You know, maybe you get to goal line setting and you can use it. Or maybe there's a certain opponent where you just think, hey, this this really will work against them, and you use it a little bit at a time. But I, I think for this to work fully, Les Miles has to give up the fact that he is going to be considered this bright offensive mind and just be very content with being the CEO of the Kansas football program. And I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Blair, when, when KU beat Boston College, I mean, how much fun is that in the locker room? When, when you're celebrating that victory and these kids that haven't won, they did win. And you're getting calls from SI does a story on you and USA Today has a story on you. I mean, mean, Bill Self always has a line, when you win, the pie is big enough to go around. So if you're Les Miles, you got hired to be the CEO, to be the motivator, to be the recruiter, to be the face of the program, and then to take the credit when you win football games. So if it's not your offense, who cares if it's not your offense? If it's Brent Deerman's offense, who cares if it's Brent Deerman's offense? If it produces forty-eight points and produces victories and makes you seem like a smart coach, that to me seems like the right way to go.
0: So Deerman had um, the success as a player and as is one season as a head coach at Bethel, as you said. I think that's Bethel, Tennessee, too. Correct. Right? It's not, not Kansas. Not Bethel. Kansas. Yep. Um, but he's also had some Division One assistant coaching experience. He was at Auburn for for a little bit, not as a um, not as an offensive coordinator, but I think it was a he was an analyst there too, maybe mm-hmm. a uh, running game analyst. So um, he's young, and uh, but it, it just it strikes me as a an infusion of energy, maybe for this offense. It's averaging I think twenty three points a twenty two eight or something like that in the Big Twelve. You know, unless you're going to be a program that that plays a brand of offensive football that is just so alien that teams aren't opponents aren't ready for it. You know like Army, you know, or Navy Military Academy type offense, which I, I've often thought Kansas should do if they're not going to have the horses. But they do have some weapons. Kansas does have offensive weapons. As you said, we saw them at Boston College. Get somebody in there who um, who has had proven success at running this type of offense.
3: Yeah, it's it's sort of fascinating on a lot of levels. I know Les Miles mentioned specifically the recruiting part of this, you know. Mm. Obviously, he's in. Les Miles is into what helps them get recruits and to have a guy sort of the antithesis of Les Kenning. I mean, Les Kenning's 60 years old, has been around the block. I mean, sort of- Many, many jobs. Yes, sort of let Les Miles kind of do what he wanted to do. And then you've got um, on the very opposite end, Brent Deerman, who, hey, this is the flashy offense. And if you go on Twitter, like once he was announced, the guy, I mean, he has people all over who love him. He's the guy that will go on podcasts and will, if a coach emails him about what to do on this particular RPO play, he'll email them back. And uh, he has two different books on the RPO. I mean, just very well respected. I've had a few brief conversations with him. I mean, just seems like a genuinely guy, a, a guy that you want to talk with. That, that seems open, um, that you like being around, that sort of thing. And as an analyst, you can't technically be an on-field coach for Kansas so to get him out there with guys like Carter Stanley and the rest of the offense I think that could be positive as well I also think it's sort of you look at maybe two schools of thought with football and I think this is sort of what you battle you kind of have to go one of two directions either the pro style of things is usually you cater to your opponent you have a bunch of time to prepare and you do things that you think are going to be good against your opponent or you kind of go the Mike Leach style which is hey we are just gonna practice this thing that we do so well we, we can call the play out across to the other team, but we're just going to out-execute you. And then with the RPO, you have the added element, which is, hey, if this linebacker is a half-step in the wrong spot, or if this guy does tries to do his job and the safety's job instead of just his job, we're going to pick that apart because that is what is ingrained in the offense. So kind of if you look at this from a big-picture perspective, Brent Dierman sort of has that second mindset, which is like, we can call out the play across, but there's so many different options with this. It makes it very difficult on an opponent to counter that. And then also, KU, if you have enough repetition with that, and that's what you're going to do, you're going to try to out-execute your opponent and just know better what you're going to do, then they can counteract it. So I think for Kansas, this can be a big shift. Once again, if less miles is allowed be a big, a big shift. So we saw one game really where Kansas um, kind of turned the reins over of the RPO and, and they had great success with it. They did a little bit more against Oklahoma. This might not be perfect. Obviously, the first game they're going to have with the new offense is at Texas. So that might not go well because any offense might not go well right. at Texas. But you mentioned it, Blair. I mean, Andrew Parchment, uh, Dalen Charlotte. Uh, you go back to Puka Williams. Yeah, they have some, some pieces. They've got some pieces that you should be able to work with. And for Les Miles to make this change midway through the season when he didn't have to, I, I, again, I think it's an encouraging sign. I think it's the right timing. I think it's the right move. I think it's the right guy to get in here because Brent Dierman probably would have been an offensive coordinator for some other Division One program if you did not hire him. Good point. So I, I think all these things are a positive if Les Miles gets out of the way. And so uh, that's kind of a, the last six weeks. And so we'll know if Les Miles continues to run those. Power toss sweeps. If that happens, then Brent Deerman isn't getting the offense. And if he's not getting the offense, then a lot of things probably won't improve for KU football. And he won't be here.
0: Um, All right, Jesse, thanks a lot. Uh, We will talk to you again next week. Sounds good, Blair. When we return, Sam McDowell joins me to review the unexpectedly disappointing season from Sporting KC and where the organization might go from here personnel-wise.
4: When it comes to saving big on tires, do the math at Big O Tires. Start by saving $100 instantly on sets of four Big O brand tires with paid installation purchase. Then receive an additional $50 by mail-in rebate on qualifying purchases using your Big O Tires credit card. Add it all up, and you can save as much as $150. The tires you need, the savings you want. Only at Big O Tires, the team you trust. Hurry, sale ends October 13th. For the location nearest you, go to BigOtires.com.
0: a lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com sportsbeatkc offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Sam McDowell is here. Sam covers the Chiefs now, but spent most of the season and most of the last few years covering Sporting Kansas City. So who better to talk about SKC and wrap up their season than Sam McDowell? Sam, any other time in the last decade, if we're wrapping up Sporting Kansas City season, we're talking about either you know a cup victory or a playoff loss. And, and not doing it in early October. <laughs> and we're not doing it the first week in October. You're absolutely right which uh, which says something about Sporting Kansas City season. let me just quickly run down the final numbers. They finished 10, 16 and 8, 11th in the West first time they didn't qualify for the playoffs since I believe 2010. So it has been a great decade
4: Man, eight straight years.
0: Yeah great decade for Sporting Kansas City the most consistent winner on the professional major League Kansas City sporting scene but not this year for Sporting Kansas City. let's let's briefly touch on what went wrong. For SKC, and then and, and then we'll get into what what we're going to see different next year. What went wrong
4: for Sporting Kansas City this year? To me, I, st- I still trace back to a series that you and I have talked about before, which is that that Champions League series. I don't because for the first month of this season, this team actually looked capable of doing everything that they had done last year. Which last year they were th- within one half of. Uh, one half shy of going to MLS Cup. I mean, they had Portland beat on their home field and uh, and ended up giving that up, obviously. But first month of the season, I thought they looked great. They played well in MLS play. They were cycling back and forth between that and Champions League. Advanced further in Champions League than any other MLS team. Semifinals. Yeah, and didn't they just got absolutely clobbered in that Monterey series. First on the road, and then at home, I I, I thought that they shouldn't have stuck with their starters because they the, the series was over. Five they nothing lo- loss. They lost right? five nothing on the road. That's an aggregate scoring into two game series and I think that they put the starters back out there to sort of rebuild some confidence I, th- I think Peter Vermees had already sensed that that game had done some damage to him tries to rebuild the confidence in the second leg instead it doubles down the other way and I thought you saw a team that never mentally recovered from that then you've got injuries factored in then you've got guys that don't have as good a season you've got an aging core and just all that t- together sort of formulated what, what you saw at the final product you know in hindsight
0: it's it's obviously because of the way the season unfolded you can say that it was a it was a bad idea you know so just being part of it and 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 then reacting to it the way that they did in the moment i loved it I, i'm yeah. you
4: know it was it was an opportunity for this organization and and the and the league, the league as a whole. That's an important aspect. I mean, I I you know I haven't heard this directly, but certainly the league wanted Sporting Kansas City as the last remaining team to put its best foot forward in in that Champions League competition. But I just I just think it doomed the rest of the season. They they had too much going on at once, and just it's it's crazy the way that that schedule factors in in the first place. That you're playing it so early in the year. Uh, Maybe if it happened later in the year, they've they've got some points accumulated and they can sort of rebound from that because they know they're a good team based on the evidence of what's happened over three months. But when they'd only played about a month of the season, I just didn't think they had anything to to sort of fall back on to to refine their comfort level at all. And keep in mind
0: the the Sporting Kansas City team that entered this year was the West Division champ, set a club record with 65 goals last year. (laughs) I don't know what... The preseason polls were like, I don't know if they were the favorite going into this year.
4: Second, I think LAFC, based on the moves they had added, and they finished third last year, them and Sporting Kansas City played for first place on the final day of last year's regular season. They had a lot more offseason moves and and money. I mean, that's what it came down to, that they spent, that I think a lot of people thought they were the favorite, but Sporting Kansas City was right there behind them.
0: Knowing what a competitor Peter Vermees is, this has to be a crushing season for him i did see for a quote sure. in the you know in the uh, after the finale which they lost 6 to nothing to to dallas i did see a quote from him saying look we didn't deserve to be in the playoffs and for him to say that um i didn't know if i'd ever see something like that but he he was optimistic you know even toward the end of the season when they was it the recent game where they had the two early 2 nothing
4: lead yeah, at against home? Yeah, Colorado, yeah. And ended up losing 3-2. Matt Beasler got ejected in that game um, because they picked up two yellow cards and then and sudden. There were so many games like that this year, though, to where you sort of did the math in your head going into the game. Like, oh, if you can get three here, you might be able to get yourself back into it. I, I certainly remember a, a home match against FC Dallas when FC Dallas was holding on to that last playoff spot. think Sporting was maybe four or five points behind. Similar situation against Real Salt Lake and I want to say late August. And then that Colorado match, you felt like you had to win them all at at that point. But still, I thought there were three matches all on your home field to where you felt like if you get three points, you might feel like you're back in this thing. You got a chance and just, it was so bizarre the way all three of those unfolded. Salt Lake, they had a lead. Right. Uh, Dallas, I felt like they never showed up for a game that they should have been as motivated for as any they had all season. In that Colorado game, a bad Colorado team, you're up two goals and you get a player sent off. I mean, it was just sort of the, the snowball effect on this team all, all year long.
0: So they go into the last game, there's nothing on the line for, for sporting. So four homegrown players—
4: in the lineup for sporting in that final game, interesting lineup. Yeah, call. yeah. Um, I actually think that there was actually quite a bit on the line though, because, um, and I think it's something you and I will get to. I think a lot of guys were playing for jobs in that in that match, and I would be. I, I obviously haven't talked to Peter since that match happened, but knowing him and like like you know him as well. I mean, I think that's going to affect the way he, he views some guys when their ex, as exit meetings happen this week.
0: Let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about the prospective changes for sporting Kansas City. Maybe in terms of a roster makeover as dramatic as any that we've seen in the last decade since yeah, they've started this I,
4: I run? I think that's fair fair to predict. This team's gone through a lot of changes every off offseason and relative to what you see in some other sports, I think, especially with the local teams here. But there's always been that core backbone of the team. The guys that you can sort of rattle off that, that have been here forever, part of all four of their trophies that they've won with, with Matt Beisler, Seth Sinovic, um, Roger Espinoza went left for, for a couple of years in Europe, but, but he's I still consider him part of that core group. And then Graham Zusi, And in the, this later adaptation, you know, Tim Milia has been part of that. Um, Benny Felhober ha- has been back here and, and part of that. And I think that based on the age of those guys, and the performance you saw this season, that that core is not going to be the same core. And I don't know which guys that's not going to include, but it's not going to include all those guys I, I just mentioned. I, I'd be so shocked if all of those guys are back in sporting Kansas City uniforms next year. Well, in terms of age, uh, how many are 30ish? In all those guys I just listed are are at least 32. At, they'll be 33 at some point next year. Which is look in. In pro athlete years, in most sports, kind of beyond your it beyond is. your peak, it is. You know, goalies we we see a little bit with with goalkeepers in soccer that they're kind of. I mean, Nick Rimando and, and Tim Howard, if not forty, they're 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 close to it, and they're it's their last year in MLS this year. Um, so you can play deeper as as a goalkeeper, but where age comes into play in all sports is the speed. Mm-hmm and this is a sport where you need speed and it's a it's a team that so glaringly lacked it all year long. Okay, so how about how about on the staff? but uh, any any perspective changes there no i mean talk to ownership uh this week and uh the staff's going to be back now they did have a, a change mid-season and their fitness coach with Mateus manuel they moved on from him uh as an interim guy they, they hired joey Hederick, and he's going to be he's going to be the full-time guy uh but peter vermiz is, is going to get a shot at turning this around and i mean those of us who have covered other franchises in this town i mean this team's been blessed with Peter Vermees. He he deserves a, a shot to to turn this thing around.
0: No no doubt about it. No doubt. Even when Sporting Kansas City is winning, he is still their their harshest critic. And I've always appreciated that about him. That yeah. he, he never satisfied. Uh, even when things are going well, he, there's always something to find to, to improve on. Yeah. And I've uh, and I think that's why he's been as successful as he has been.
4: Yeah. Um, I remember when uh, I, I kind of wrote maybe a little bit more expansive feature on him last year and talked to some of the assistant coaches about that. And I should point out, the assistant coaches are, are going to remain in place as well. But um, talked to, to Kerry Zvagnan, who played with Peter, and he, right. he's been on his staff ever since he's been here. And he, he told a story about how they had won U.S. Open Cup in Philadelphia and that was not their most recent one, so that would have been the 2015 U.S. Open Cup. And it was late September, and they're on the bus after the game. And, of course, the, the players are kind of sho- soaked in champagne. And first thing Peter says was about talking about their match coming up on Saturday, their <laughs> MLS regular season right. match, the very first thing out of his mouth. And, um, it, it, you know, they, they kind of thought, this is why you do it, though. This is what you should be enjoying. But he's just always – that's just the way he's built. He's always looking for the next thing. All right,
0: so even though it was – uh, something of a lost season for Sporting Kansas City. It was a season, and so let's let's think about who a team MVP might have been for
4: for Sporting Kansas City
0: this year. Who who would you yeah, who, who would you
4: identify? Um, they had some highlights. They had some moments. I would. I you know the the two guys that um, I, I think the one guy that that was really most consistent throughout the year was Felipe Gutierrez. Partly because the sort of the cliche is your best ability is availability and during that stretch when everybody was out he was the one workhorse and i did think he got into a moment where he was trying to do too much because he knew everybody that was out he could sense the way the season was going the tide of it and was trying to flip that um but he he played he played well for him this year to me johnny russell should be absolutely part of this uh the future whoever is is going to be around them I, i still think he's your most dynamic weapon up to, uh, in that sort of attacking three that you have there. But when we talked about who's not going to be back, I mean, that that's something they have to address absolutely is they're going to have to get a striker this next year because they had nobody on that roster who could consistently put easy chances away. Because... Peter Vermee said this often, and you go back and watch the games, and it's accurate. They created chances this year. They should not have scored, what was it, 16 fewer goals right. than they did last year. They didn't have a striker last year. They broke a club record with 65 goals last year. This year, they I think 48, 49, whatever that number ended up, and it was because that that position just so much involved him in the attacking front, and they just didn't have a guy that could put away goals. Bucio was fun to it yeah. was fun to watch. It gave him a real burst of energy when he yeah, came out. Yeah, and I, I certainly wonder what the future holds for him. Immediate future, because I think long-term future, the it's it's hard to call it a consensus in any sport, but I think a lot of people think he's going to be a valuable player, whether it's here, whether they end up getting cash for him at some point and he plays elsewhere, I don't know. But I, I'm, I am interested to see if they consider him a guy they can really rely on at 17 years old next year. I think he'll turn 18, and it's April or May or early in the year. But um, how early do they want to involve him and and sort of the, the backbone of the team? Right.
0: Okay, Sam, good stuff. Appreciate you stopping by, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Blair. That'll do it for another week of Sports Beat KC, sponsored by Big O Tires. Hey, wanted to give a shout-out to our listeners who have purchased subscriptions through the ad you hear during the podcast. You know that 30 bucks a year ad. You're helping us support this podcast and the Star's sports coverage, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks to Kathy Lou and Leah Becerra, who worked their producing magic this week from places other than Kansas City. Travel safe, you guys. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Give us a rate and a good review. Check some of the stars, five of them. It helps. Hey, we'll be back next week to talk sports in Kansas City, starting with Monday's show reviewing the Chiefs game against the Houston Texans.